0: And so, Father God, we come to you again into your house of worship with all the thanksgiving and praise in our hearts. We realize, God, that if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here. You have certainly been faithful. Your faithfulness has been great to us. And when we hear the songs that remind us that we don't know how it is that we got to where we are but you have been with us the whole time. You have brought us as a people from the coast of West Africa through Middle Passage to the evil of chattel slavery here in this land to reconstruction through Jim Crow in the lynching era. even now into this day where it is legalized and sanctioned murder of our black men and boys in the streets. Lord God, we have to ask so many times, why? But in spite of it all, you've been faithful. In spite of it all, we are still here and it is only because of your grace. Sometimes we question your mercy and the harshness of the hands that drink our lives. But it is because of your grace and mercy that we are still here. And so God, even though we are facing trials, even though we are facing unjust loss, even though we are facing a time where it appears that there is no thing as justice for a man of color, we still cling to our faith. We still cling to the power and hope of salvation. Not as a pie-in-the-sky dream, but as a belief in knowing, God, that you are real. And so God, as we move forward this day, and as we move forward in the coming months, and we, the weeks and months ahead, as we deal with the, the inevitable appeal of the murderer of Botham Jean and the murder of the key witness that testified against her. We ask, God, that that not only do you pray for the souls of those two young men and pray for the soul of that murderer, and we pray for the soul of this nation that allows it and refuses to speak out against it, God. We pray for the souls of the pastors who stand in pulpits this morning and will not address this subject, God. We ask that you remember them. Forgive them, God, for they know not what they do. And so God, we ask that you be here with us just a little while longer, that your presence remain here in this sanctuary, that we may feel you and know that you are with us as we leave this place and into this sick and dying world, a world that has shown no love towards us, but we have indeed your love touching us. And so God, I ask that as I go forth this morning that you keep me covered in your blood, hidden behind the cross, that your power power will be seen and that you will indeed be glorified and receive the glory. For it is in your son Jesus Christ's name that we do pray and believe. Amen. 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 Good morning, everybody. Uh, as you can see, uh, the, the backdrop of the slides is that of Eric Garner being taken down by the police, an unarmed man. Whose life was senselessly taken. We go to the Word of God. Well, before I start, I I was remiss in in acknowledging you. We did our birthdays, but I forgot one thing. It was my parents' anniversary this week of 54 years of marriage. and that's an accomplishment not just because they're my mother and father but because in this day and age seeing people who are going to stick through something stick through anything for any time, let alone more than half a century says something it really puts it in perspective when you think about it more than half a century of two people living together loving each other and probably, inevitably, sometimes disliking each other. But through it all. We yeah. used to say that in church when we were young. Through it all. They stayed together. So happy anniversary. I was, uh, I got all about it. But happy anniversary. But I didn't call. I usually would call, but I didn't. So but happy anniversary. My apologies. So as we, we dig into this, we're going to go to Paul's words. Ephesians, Ephesians, what am I doing? Am I doing something wrong, Robert? No, okay, good. So it's not me. The fourth chapter of Ephesians, verses 30 through 32. Paul writes these words, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Those are some harsh, harsh words falling on the hearts of hard hardened people. Uh, some might even say stiff necked people. And in light of the events that have taken place this week, it's pretty hard to go to the Word of God and hear Him tell us. Don't cause grief to the Holy Spirit because you were marked, you were marked specifically and set aside for the day of redemption. So, in spite of the things that have happened in your life, don't have bitterness. Let it go. Wrath mm-hmm. anger. Let it go. Yeah. Evil speaking. Get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Malice. Close the door. Yeah. But. Uh, no not but. And. Be kind. To one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ. Forgave you. Uh, the voice translation says it this way it's time to stop bringing grief to God's Holy Spirit you have been sealed with the spirit marked as his own for the day of rescue banish bitterness, rage, anger, shouting and slander and any kind of malicious thoughts these are poison instead be kind and compassionate Graciously forgive one another just as God has forgiven you through the anointed, our liberating king. A little plainer. Doesn't sit well. It doesn't make it easier to hear. But it's a little more to understand. And so this morning I want to use for theme. The paradox of faith. Wrestling. With the cross, I had a whole different way I was going for this week. But in light of the conviction of the murderer of Anthem, of uh, Botham Jean, uh, anybody who's seen me on Facebook or hear me this morning, uh, you know when they do uh, capture a bombing suspect or a mass shooter and they get on the news, we're not giving this person any more credit, and they refuse to say the name. Uh, some of it I know has to do with the fact that, and I just have to be real about how this is, it has to do with the fact that when we've seen these tragedies happen in America, nobody wants to acknowledge the truth of the matter. See, we, they want a narrative that says it is a black man, they want a narrative that says it is an Islamic man, they want to hear the narrative that it is a Mexican immigrant who has committed these atrocities, and when you hear the name of David Smith, may have been the one that committed the crime. It is not so much about we don't want to give him notoriety. It is about we don't want to point to the fact that the murderer comes from us. But for me, I'm not giving notoriety to the murderer of Botham Jean. And so we as Christians, we have seen through the events of this week that while she was convicted, which was a surprise in of itself, that the sentence did not match the crime. Ten years for taking the life of an innocent, unarmed black man in his home with a bowl of ice cream. And yet, the victim is portrayed as the murderer. So I felt it necessary that we deal with this because there have been so much going back and forth on social media. And I, I want to say this right now that there are people who have sent me direct messages and text messages and we've interacted on Facebook and I know they're waiting to hear what I'm going to say. I've had friends on the right and friends on the left and, and, and then they, they, they're all waiting. For this and I just feel I have to do this and, and I know that there are people who are, who are watching and, and will view this that have uh, no kind con- haven't had any contact with me and they're going to be uncomfortable but growth requires some discomfort see we can't ignore the elephant in the room so to speak We can't continue to believe that that we see the world a certain way. And because you see the world a certain way, then we should just ignore it. I, I, I really have gotten to a place when I've heard someone who is white say that I don't even see you as black. And they don't realize that that is an insult to who I am. Because my blackness is a part of my experience. And my blackness is who I am. And you failing to see, my blackness is failing to see me. I am a black man whether you choose to see it or not I am black there is a distinct difference between my blackness and anybody else's non-blackness people don't look like me the non-melanated folks your nose is not as big or wide your lips are not as full and thick Your butt's not sticking out as big as mine. And you certainly don't have my swag. Don't care if you don't think I have none, but I know I'm cool. But you fail to see and deal with my blackness and what it means in America is failing to acknowledge my walk. There is a difference between a white man and a black man even if it is just the complexion of their skin. Just the same as that we may be all human beings, but there is a very distinct difference between a man and a woman. I don't see women and say, I don't even see you as a woman. What kind of nonsense is that? That t- Women are different from men. Physiologically, emotionally, psychologically, and any other L-Y you want to put on the end, we are different. And one of the things that we have to understand as an entire nation, as, as a community, is that our experiences as individuals shape how we view the world and how we view church. And so we have, have seen what we have to deal with as Christians, black Christians in particular, is that we have to walk this line because of all the things going back and forth. Uh, how do you continue to serve This white man's religion. When it is always met with the tree with the noose. It's a struggle to be a black Christian in a land that has literally turned their back on us. That has literally tried to obliterate us and still hold on to our faith. We have to wrestle with the cross because we have issues that we can see that someone gets 10 years for the murder of an innocent man, which is not like you've seen anywhere else. Typically, murder is going to be 15 to 20. Knowing that in five years, the murderer will be eligible for parole. Which means, in essence, she got five years for taking an innocent man's life. Our first instinct is rage, to fight, to scream out, to to turn our back on everything we know. But Paul told us let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. But we still got to wrestle with the cross. I was strangely sent to a video Billie Holiday singing Strange Fruit and if you had know the lyrics of the song it says southern trees bear strange fruit blood on the leaves and blood at the root black bodies swinging in the southern breeze strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees pastoral scene of the gallant south the Bulging Eyes and the Twisted Mouth. Now I just want to stop there. This is a song that was popular. All kind of folks were going to see Billie Holiday sing this song and they completely miss the meaning. And I'm talking about our non-melanated friends. Strange Fruit Hanging from, uh, no, Pastoral Scene of the gallant South. The Bulging Eyes and the Twisted Mouth. She is describing how the dead bodies looked hanging from trees and people are applauding to this song missing it completely scent of magnolia sweet and fresh then the sudden smell of burning flesh knowing that before a lot of men and women were were lynched they were tortured by cutting off their limbs and burning them before they strung them up to the tree and yet people were applauding but this sudden smell of burning fresh here is fruit for crows to pluck for rain to gather for the wind to suck for the sun to rot for the tree to drop here is a strange and bitter crop it is a very disturbing song with very disturbing imagery but yet so true of the experience of our blackness here in the United States. This was, what has been causing all this turmoil is this young man, Brant Jean. As I say, the hug that was heard around the world. A lot of folks are angry that this man, this young man, said in court, I forgive you when she said, I'm sorry. And it is hard for us as a collective body to wrap our heads around what this action means. See, There are a lot of people, including myself, who who went on Facebook and said, we defend him because we know as people of faith, this is the action we're supposed to take. But our hearts are saying no this don't sit right with me we've had time after time of our black men being gunned down and I don't want to forgive nobody I ain't going to forgive nobody and I'm talking about Christian folk and it's hard and the main reason why it's hard is because when a person of color is gunned down in the street is not just the family that's affected, the entire community feels it. When Trayvon Martin was shot, my son was the first thing that came to my head. My son could have been this boy, shot down in the street like a common animal. When I see a grown man like Botham Jean in his house, that we know not only when he died or Philando Castile that most of us understand that any interaction with a policeman may not go the way it should and so when we, we feel collectively knowing that this was just them and not us but when he forgave it was shocking because not only did he display a Christian attribute that we talk about but rarely see we weren't ready to let go either He's ready to move on, but we're stuck because we're still feeling the pain. His his personal act cannot be imparted on the community even though the death of his brother was felt by the entire community. And we have a a problem with that for for some. There are many who completely support him. I, I completely support him as a minister. But as a man, I struggle. I struggle. Paradox is simply a word, a word that means a tenet contrary to received opinion, a statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense and yet perhaps true. Uh, it is further defined an opinion or statement contrary to commonly accepted, opinion. Uh, Basically, to sum it up, paradoxes of contradiction. Uh, Examples of paradoxes. We've heard this before. Youth is wasted on the young. Deep down inside, you're really shallow. Here are the rules. Ignore the rules. The second sentence is false. The first second sentence is true. These are examples of paradoxes, a statement that could be, but may not be, or contradicts the other, other thing. In the book Animal Farm, George Orwell wrote a great paradox. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Those who have read the book and understand what George Orwell was making a political statement, and we see that because even in the Founding Fathers, this document that we hold so dear as a nation said that all men are created equal, but they forgot that last part, but some men are more equal. Because if all men were truly equal, we wouldn't be talking about the murderer, that, uh, uh Botham Jean, because she would have been sentenced to 20 years, 20 to life. But this has shown, this quote sums up with our lives in America. Some are more equal than others. Now, in our faith, this this Christian thing we're doing is, is, is a paradox in and of itself. You think about some of the things that we understand as a believer hope comes from defeat. That's contradictory, but yet we as believers know that our hope comes after we've been defeated. Uh, say, uh, uh, a suffering may endure for, uh, for a night but in the morning joy comes the last shall be first Jesus said this the first will be last and the last will be first that's a paradox he told us that if you want to live you have to die to yourself that is a paradox In order, you have to die in order to live what did he tell Nicodemus that if you want to see me you got to be born again and the, the most important part of the paradox of this faith is the snatching victory out of defeat, the death of Jesus on the cross, the resurrection from the dead. But Paul, again, Paul, I, I think when I think about it, Paul is kind of representative of everything that my inner man can't stand because he's telling us all this stuff about not repaying evil for evil and forgiving folks but he was the one who was pursuing Christians and needed to be forgiven for his evil he says to the Roman church in chapter 12 17 to 21 repay no one evil for evil have regard for good things in the sight of men if it, if it is possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. And he ends it. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. (sighs) Yeah, Paul, I know what you're saying, but I got a little bit of a problem here, bro. I know what God said that vengeance is his, but man, I just can't do this. And there is the paradox because our flesh is fighting with the spirit. The flesh wants vengeance. The flesh wants to be angry, but the Spirit says, you got to let it go. If you want to see God, you have got to let it go. And that is so, so hard to do. Do not overcome, be overcome by you. And that's what we're seeing right now. Anger. At a lot of folks, uh, and so when, uh, when they, they showed the young man Joshua Brown, who just found out that he had been murdered either Friday or Saturday night, Joshua Brown is the neighbor of Botham Jean, who was at home at the time of his murder, and heard and when witnessed what was going on in that area, and he testified against the murderer of Botham Jean. And they found him dead in the parking lot of his apartment complex. And it has now been confirmed that not only was he ambushed in the parking lot, but they shot him in the chest and shot him in the mouth. This is a young man that has no gang ties, no criminal record that we know of, but has been to college and runs his own business. So we can't have, we don't have the story of, uh, well, he had gang ties. We don't have the story of the kill criminal element of his past. You got somebody who actually is an upstanding citizen. But we know the gang in blue, right. and I'm not talking about Crips, right. shot him in the mouth to send a message. Right. And the same people that shot him in the mouth are investigating themselves. Right. And Paul says, don't repay evil for evil. Well, sometimes a lot of us are thinking, no, 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 we need to repay some of this. We, our, our, our Nat Turner's coming out. we go take a life for a life. And I, I'm really saddened, wondering, how is this thing going to go? Because she will appeal the conviction. But now... The witness who was next door is no longer here and have the ability. Keep in mind she has tremendous support from her former employer and her former co-workers and people around this nation who have not experienced life through our skin who just write this off. This was a terrible mistake. Understanding when it comes to them or to when it comes to us that terrible mistakes mean nothing you still broke the law it is an unfortunate mistake that you made but you are still paying the price and it is almost as if they're saying why should she have to suffer because of mistakes she made well she made the mistake this man is dead for no reason of any and we have the struggle the wrestling with the cross. And this is not just with this issue, it's with every aspect of our lives, the people who who get under our skin, the people who make us go there when we know we're not supposed to do all these things. I I was drawn to Dr. James Cone. He is considered the father of black liberation theology, which a lot of uh, some... People don't want to hear this. They think it is, uh, I won't use the word abomination, but that's where they're trying to take this. He was a, a scholar. He, uh, he is a preacher. He is a theologian on the level of Spurgeon or anybody else, Wesley. You want to talk about the Wesley, you want to talk about Spurgeon, you need to talk about James Cone. And he he wrote I have several quotes, so bear with me. In the lynching era between 1880 and 1940, white Christians lynched nearly 5,000 black men and women in a manner with obvious echoes of the Roman crucifixion of Jesus. Yet these Christians did not see the irony or contradiction in their action. This is from his book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, which I just ordered and I would encourage you to do the same (laughs) A couple of his books. I didn't have that one. He he is drawing one of the things that he that the the hallmark of the black liberation theology is the correlation between Jesus and the poor. Jesus and the black struggle in America. He he directly tied to Jesus that the struggle for black people in America is a more of a reason why Jesus is coming for us. Uh, If you look at uh, Luke chapter 4 Jesus goes into the, the, the synagogue to teach and he gets the scroll from Isaiah and he quotes from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because I've been anointed to preach the gospel. Well, essentially, isn't I've come to free, the, uh, free those in bondage. And who's in bondage in America? But us. And see, when you have these theologians... Kuhn challenged theologians, he challenged preachers to really look at what you are as a Christian If you don't see the irony or the contradiction in your action to lynch people and we realized that they were lynching folks on church property as well. And he said they didn't even see the contradiction and the irony of the action of how Jesus was despised and looked upon and killed. And black people are despised and looked down upon and killed. And he's pointing this out. And people just thought he was just an angry man. He he writes uh, further in the Black Theology of Black Power. And certainly the history of black-white relations in this country from the Civil War to present unmistakably shows that as a people, America has never intended for blacks to be free. To this day, in the eyes of most white Americans, the black man remains subhuman. human. People don't like this. This is this uncomfortable thing. I don't want to deal with this. White folks don't want to deal with it. Black people don't want to deal with it. But you have to deal with the hard issues in order to get to the truth. And the fact of the matter is, Boston Jean was an educated man, college degree, and went further to becoming an accountant worked hard in his church, loved by everybody who knew him, but yet the person who was described as the victim was his murderer. Every time we see a black man killed in the street, these police, who are trained to use restraint, they are trained in tactics to de-escalate situations. For some odd reason, if you remember, like Michael Brown in St. Louis, there's this big Michael Brown to this little white cop. He's, you see how big he was? He was a boy. I can't help it if you were sawed off right. <laughs> he was a boy. But yet, everybody, and we saw, with him, with Trevon Martin, everything brings up his past. and shows, oh, he was a thug. He was doing this. He's that. Look how big he is. I feared... For my life. As a matter of fact, that is exactly what the murderer says as she goes into his home, his house, she feared for her life. You know what? You coming to my house, you're gonna fear for your life too, because I'm coming back at you, baby, with a nine on my 45. You better fear for your life coming into my house. And people had sympathy for her because she she's the victim. This little white woman coming into this big black man's house. And you know they don't feel pain. They don't have remorse. They don't have control of their actions. They just do what they want to do. She had no choice. That's the thought in their head. She had to do this, because even if she was in the wrong place, the wrong floor, the wrong door, he was open. They're just animals. James Cole says, unlike Europeans who immigrated to this land to escape from tyranny, Africans came and changed to serve a nation of tyrants. We got one in office right now. He said, I do think that it's impossible to do Christian theology with integrity in America without asking the question, what has the gospel to do with the black struggle for liberation? How do you look at Jesus setting the captives free? How do you look at the redemptive power of Jesus Christ and still not deal with the issues that impact black people in America? You can't do it with integrity. This is the last quote from the cross and the lynching tree. The cross and the lynching tree interpret each other. Both were public spectacles shameful events, instruments of punishment reserved for the most despised people in society. Any genuine theology and any genuine preaching of the Christian gospel must be measured against the test of the scandal of the cross and the lynching tree. Jesus did not die a gentle death like Socrates with his cup of hemlock. Rather, he died like a lynched black victim or a common black criminal in torment My my brother, I just forgot his name. Eric Garner. I can't breathe. He died in torment. The crowd shall crucify him. In Mark 15:14, anticipated the white mob shall lynch him. Jesus' agonizing final cry of abandonment from the cross: "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" In Mark 15:34, was similar to the lynch victim, Sam Jose's awful scream as he drew his last breath, oh my God, oh Jesus. Or in Eric Garner's case, I can't breathe. In each case, it was a cruel, agonizing, and contemptible death. We have to wrestle with the paradox of faith. Our blackness, our Christian faith, and our American citizenship. I thought that was the last quote, I was wrong. This was the last quote. Without concrete signs of divine presence in the lives of the poor, the gospel becomes simply an opiate. Rather than liberating the powerless from humiliation and suffering, the gospel becomes a drug that helps them adjust to this world by looking for pie in the sky. See that's where atheists and those who are not Christians have been having issues with what Brent Jean did. And, and why they've been saying for years that this is the white man's religion, because it has just simply become an opiate for a lot of folks. It really has. They, they have not embraced the liberating power of, of Jesus Christ in their lives to overcome their situation, but it's just simply become a drug that helps them adjust keeps them numb to the realities of the world and looking for the sweet by-and-by sometime later. We're wrestling with this cross. We're, We're dealing with the paradox of this faith, the faith that says that Jesus is our king, and with Jesus we are more than conquerors, but yet we are continually beaten down. It's interesting because you have these so-called woke folks that will tell you day in and day out that Christianity is the white man's religion. And I, of course, provided proof to some of these folks where one even just finally said, Ron, I ain't dealing with you with that. Right? It's, now you got no argument to stand on when I give you something. You, you, went, you went to a, a, a rally with some dude's name who was named with Melvin but he changed it to a wasabi and he stood up here wearing a kofi and a dashiki and you read the first paragraph or half a paragraph in that raggedy book he wrote and all of a sudden you know about African history he don't even know about African history when I tell you about African history you don't want to deal with me you don't want to hear about the origin of Christianity in Africa because you don't want to deal with that But then those same folks will turn around and tell you, you know Jesus is black. (laughs) How is the white man religion going to have a white, a black Jesus? (laughs) Unless the whole thing is based on blackness. But our biggest problem, the heart of our current societal paradox, is forgiving our enemy. That's that F-word that we don't like to talk about. This is the heart of the struggle, is forgiveness. And love is right behind it, but it's forgiven. We see we'll we'll tell folks we love them, but we haven't forgiven them. And we'll mean that we love them, but we haven't forgiven them. Uh, So there was this white writer, I I read this story that he wrote, his name was David French, and he was commenting on the the uh, uh, Brant Jean hug, the hug that went around, heard around the world, and he says he was responding to an article written about Brent Jean, and he was given his reasons why he believed that the article was a little off base. He said, the moment went viral not because forgiveness was expected or white innocence was presumed. The moment went viral because the guilt was so obvious and the rage was so understandable. He, he got the fact and understood the fact that this woman didn't get what she deserved. The moment went so viral because it was shocking. It was first shocking that she was convicted. But it was a good shock. The law is finally working. But it was a tempered goodness because, well, let's see what the sentence is going to be. And unfortunately, we saw what happened. Brent Jean demonstrated a level of grace that most Christians, white or otherwise, simply couldn't comprehend. And they couldn't comprehend it because the horror inflicted on his brother was so obvious and so thoroughly unjustifiable. And you think about those words that he's saying. That's that's exactly what it is that we're seeing. That we had a courtroom, a jury, and a judge that sat here and gave her five years. And he summed it up perfectly. You couldn't comprehend because the horror inflicted on this brother was so obvious and so thoroughly unjustifiable. And even with that, with that low sentence, he still stood up and said, I forgive you. But he went further, not but, and he said, asked, Can I hug you? To give her a physical demonstration of his commitment to forgiving her. And not only did he hug her. He let her embrace him. Wrestling with the cross. We couldn't comprehend because the horror inflicted on his brother was so obvious and thoroughly unjustifiable. But nobody's surprised, the judge is endorsed by the Dallas Police Association. She bought and paid for I don't fault her for that. I think it's inappropriate that she hugged her. But as a compassionate person, maybe you do. But as a bought token, you're showing your true colors. I tried to, I did my best uh, son. I tried to keep from giving you uh, life in jail. You only, you will be out in five, you do, and I'm, I'm going to send you to the good place. Yes, i yes, sir. I should not Kingdom work is hard work. Kingdom work is difficult work, and there will never be any easy answers. I hope you didn't expect to come in here, hear in this topic, and think that I was going to be able to provide an easy answer of how to deal with the paradox of faith and wrestling with the cross. But there is only one answer to dealing with this paradox, and it's the other F word faith. I watched a video of James Cohn, and he was talking about uh, the, that lynching period because he grew up in this Arkansas. He died a few years back, but his parents would have lived right in the middle of that period where blacks were being lynched all the time. And he said, How? that we as a people live our lives and get through day-to-day knowing that any interaction with any group of white people could result in you being tortured and hung from a tree. And that's real. You lost, boy? Where are you going, boy? Who you looking at, boy? That your daily life is faced with the possibility of death. It amazes me that I, talk, when I hear my dad talk about growing up in the, in Louisiana during segregation and the stuff that he went through, or you talk to anybody who survived segregation or the, the Jim Crow South and hear the stories of how they, what they witnessed and what they saw. I remember my dad even telling me one day that him and my Uncle John hiding in a bush for fear that this truckload of white people were going to come back and kill them. Yes. Yes. How do you live your life day to day knowing that when you walk out the door you may not come home? How do you send your child out day-to-day knowing that today might be the last time you see him? How did they get through? And he summed it up. Faith. He also said blues music. He said he he was really into the blues and the poets that spoke to the black experience. He he said he looked at, at blues as secular gospel. But blues and faith got them through. And here we are in a very similar situation today right. that while we may not face a lynching tree, you will face the end of the gun of a policeman. Uh-huh. Right. And the only thing that's going to get us through this is that F word faith. Because Hebrews 11 and 6 says With- without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Then Matthew writes in chapter 5, verse 44, But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, my God. Do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Grant Jean, John, is the complete opposite of what we saw with Eric Garner's wife. Brent John said, I forgive you. When they asked Eric Garner's wife if she was going to forgive those police, she quickly and unequivocally stated, hell no, which is the feeling that most of us have. And we saw that Paul wrote to us in our verse, verse 32, and be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And I told somebody it is not just a question of forgiveness. It is a question of whether forgiveness is conditional or unconditional. Some people say it's conditional that you have to meet this requirement because God even said in the first Corinthians, I mean, uh, not uh, Corinthians, uh, Chronicles 7.14 Uh, If my people who are called by my name, if is the condition, if my people who are called by their names will humble themselves and pray and uh, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. But here's the paradox. Romans 5, 8 in the voice translation. But think about this. While we were wasting our lives in sin, God revealed his powerful love to us in a tangible display the anointed one died for us. The unconditional portion. So where are we as individuals when you are wrestling with your faith, wrestling with the cross? Are we going to be the people who are going to rise up with the faith that God instills us with? Or are we going to succumb to our flesh and take actions into our own hands David wrote in Psalms 103 that God takes all of our crimes our inexhaustible sins and removes them as far as the east from the west takes them away and removes them from us and Peter wrote in his epistle first epistle 4 8 and 9 He says, above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Love. Boy, it's hard to love our enemies. It's hard to be in a place where we have been seeing images of what we know is not what Jesus looks like. But for our people to see and thrust in this image of what America has said Jesus is, and yet see the people who look like him exact such evil on us. But yet, even though we know that Jesus does not fit that image, he still tells us that we're supposed to have fervent love, fervent love for one another because that love will cover a multitude of sins. And that would include the murderer of Botham Jean. That would include the murderers of Eric Garner, the murderer of Sandra Bland, the murderer of Philando Castile, the murderer of Tamir Rice, remember when I told you several years back my wife and I went to Vegas and we saw the prostitute on the corner with the pimp and I said man, Christ died for him too he died for the murderer of Botham Jean the murderers of Eric Garner the murderer of Tamir Rice the murderer of uh, Trayvon Martin the murderer of Sandra Bland the murderer of Philando Castile he died for them too yeah. but it is so hard when we're wrestling against, with the cross of trying to seek our own vengeance and sometimes that vengeance is rooted in trying to understand how can a people who live in a nation that claims that they have a basis in Christianity Continue to do so much wrong here and abroad. It's illogical to then come to a church on Sunday and pray to God and have God then tell us, Love Him. Trust me. And you think about all the things that God I did. I have to trust God because this year, if it has not taught me one thing, it has taught me to lean on the Lord. Proverbs 3.5 says, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understandings, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It is almost done. you don't have to wrestle with this cross anymore because if you acknowledge him in all your ways and stop leaning on your own understanding, he will take care of it all. It ain't easy. And it's not fun, but it's necessary. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you.